Hey, good morning. Thank you guys for being part of Mariner's Church today. I'm glad that you're here. My name's Paul, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's just my privilege to sing with you guys and to be with you guys, and, and then to be able to get up here is just a, it's a, it's an amazing um, privilege and honor. So thank you for being such a great place. I mean, you guys make this place terrific. Hey, I just want to highlight uh, something that is coming up. Uh, next week, we're beginning a whole new series on relationships, and I'd like to just invite you to invite people to come to that. This is one of those message series that's really easy to invite people to come, um, particularly when you see your neighbors that are arguing with each other. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but this is one, again, where we're going to be talking about stuff. It's going to be kind of done in a, in a light way, but really move people to help understand the dynamics of personal relationships and really the difference between men and women. And that will help them not only in their marriages, but in their work and in their connections and their friendships and all that. So, so make sure you just take opportunity to, uh, to invite people to come to that one. It'll, it'll, it'll be a really fun one. On this one, we really trust it. it'll be able to connect with the church and then, then with God. Hey, I, I want to start out with a little poll um, this morning. Um, how many of you, this will be a hands-up kind of a thing, how many of you, when you were a little kid and school had to happen, you faked being sick? Hands up on, on this one. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. Okay. How many of you have done that as an adult? <laughs> School's in now, you know, and, and it's going, and, and kids are kind of walking germ carriers, and so they'll get sick, and of course, when they get sick, what? You get sick, you know, you'll feel a little tickle in your throat, and you think, oh, oh, no, and so you take whatever you, you take, and sometimes I've been up here with a cold, and, and I have gotten boy, a list of advice from you people that's about a mile long, um, from vitamin C to zinc to listening to jazz to eating chocolate, to nasal irrigation, apple cider vinegar. And um, for me, I just don't listen. To I just go to the drugstore and buy a, uh, a bottle of NyQuil, just, just, uh, which is we call Christian Jack Daniels right there. Just <laughs> knock that, knock that, that baby down. And, and, and when, my, when my kids were sick, they, they'd, you know, if you remember little kids, we ever seen them, they get the Twin Rivers, you know, that comes out of their nose, and, and the poor kids are just sort of, and, 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 and one of my boys was, and he just said, you know, why, why, why do we get sick? You know, what is sick? And so I tried to explain, you know, to, to a little kid in little kid terms, and I would say, well, you know, there's little meanies outside. We call them germs, but they're little meanies. And what happens is those little meanies get it inside you, and, and they make more little meanies. And right now, your body has a whole bunch of little meanies, and your body's trying to get rid of, of, of all those little meanies because that's what's putting you down. Now, that's what happens on the inside. Transfer that over now to this thing called a church or to the movement of God. Jesus said, I will build my church. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. What he's saying is this thing called church or this movement of God <clears throat> is indestructible from the outside. Nothing on the outside can break it, can shut it down. God designed it that way. Churches do not need buildings to survive. Places in China, the church is proliferating there, and they don't have buildings. They meet just in homes and in basements and in the corners of warehouses. Churches don't need the government to give tax breaks. You go to the Middle East, and the Middle East is filled with, with churches, and they are actually illegal. And, and that's pretty cool that this movement that Jesus started, it, it can't be stopped from without. It can't. It just can't, and it won't. 
but it can be stopped from within. Once the little meanies get inside, they can. And, and, and the little meanies or the scary part of it is the meanies or us. We're the ones. The only thing that can truly shut down a church would be the people on the inside. And that's what I'm going to be talking about, and we're going to be spending a few minutes talking about this morning. So let's take a second and pray, okay? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your plan, your work, what you do in lives, and I pray that you'd open our, our hearts, our eyes to what you do and want to do in us and keep us to be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been considering a, a Bible book that's called the Book of Acts, and we're calling this uh, series Unstoppable because really that's what, as I mentioned, the church is. It's an unstoppable, it's an unstoppable force. The Bible book of Acts, if you look in your New Testament or in a Bible, if you want to grab one in the back, we give them away if you don't have one, so make sure you, you go grab one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, and then there's the book of Acts, and it's chronologically placed there because after the ministry of Jesus, then we see what happened afterwards to the followers of Jesus, and they began to work in this new movement that's just simply called a church as the plan of God begins to spread and move and go more and more and more throughout the world. And there's an important guy in that you'll find in the book of Acts, and his name is, is Paul. And Paul is a guy who had an ex- incredible experience with Jesus. His life completely changed. He went from a hateful person, a very angry, bitter person, to the one who basically wrote the definition of love. And he went all over the place helping people experience this new life and experience this new love from God now that he's been changed through Christ. And he started churches. And one particularly, he started in a city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus still exists, or you can go there and, and visit the ruins there. And he spent about three years there helping people grow and understand this, this newfound faith that, that they had. And then he traveled around and did other churches and did other things. And he comes back around, circled back around, And he's now doing almost what I'll call his farewell tour because he knows he'll probably, in his travels, never get to Ephesus again. So he gathers the leaders from this church and the people in the church, and they come and they meet with him on a beach. And he's going to talk to them, basically saying, I'm I'm not going to see you guys again. So these are my last instructions to you to make sure that this thing called church or this thing called the movement of Christ in this area does not fall apart from within. And I'm going to read the speech, and it's not long. It's only a couple minutes, so don't worry about that. So here we go. He says this. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, if you look at that last phrase that he's just saying here, the implication is that there is now an obligation we have. 
there is a responsibility we have for the people around us. And now he's going to turn his attention to the leaders and he's give instructions to them. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now I mentioned nothing can kill this place from without, nothing. In fact, the more persecution is turned up, the stronger churches get. That's just simply a historical fact. But things can happen where? They can happen on the inside. And the first thing, if you want to take notes, great. If, if not, just, just, just listen. The first thing that can happen on the inside is truth-twisting. Verse 30 says this, Even if from your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. We, um, we hold here that God has given us the Bible, and that is our authority for faith and practice. And that has been held on to for, for 2,000 years. I mean, even longer. This thing called, we would call it the Word of God or the Bible, holds the truths that, that we need. I, uh, last weekend, I was, gone, I was dropping my, my daughter off at college, and she's going to Biola, which is a Christian school down in Southern California. And, and, I, and I love this school because they have a, a very strong emphasis on the Bible is the Word of God and Jesus is, is the only way. And, and, and actually, I went to graduate school on that, on that campus as well. I did my graduate work there. And, and as, as I was there, I, I, I remembered the place I would park, you know, 80 years ago, it seemed like, and, and, the, and the building that I would go to to take theology one and two and three and four and five and six and all those kinds of, of theology things. And, and, and I remember learning these truths that have been there, put together by brilliant people that took logic and philosophy and scripture and pulled them all together and synthesized them into things like the doctrine of the Trinity of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us and the brokenness of humanity. And that's why we have a problem in this world. And the only way to come to God now is through Christ because that's the only thing that makes sense as far as justice and mercy and love meet together right there because of that. No other way makes logical sense how to get on the right track and how to have that relationship with God again and how to maintain that. And then there will be people that will come and begin to twist, 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 twist. Earlier on in Acts, it says this. It says, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. And this is the example of the twist. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, you see, they're using the right terms. I mean, the term circumcision, that's a biblical word, you know. And they're using the term saved, and they're using Moses. They're kind of throwing Moses into this whole thing. And if you don't know the truth, you could get sucked into that, you know. You really could. And this is the issue, and this is the problem of even things like today. It's not necessarily this issue of circumcision, but it's other things as, that, that, that come in and that, that pop up. 
I mean, how would you react at your family get-together if, you know, Uncle Mike says, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved? You know, what would you say? I'd say, not in front of the kids, okay? Let's not talk about this in kids. And you'd say, well, it's just their take on things. It's, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's not a matter of two different opinions. It's a matter of the whole thing called grace and the free gift of God. And it makes a huge difference in your life. And you think, ah, that's just a little bit of a nuance. It's a couple percent difference. What is it if you take a train from, from here to, well, you couldn't do a train, but Chicago, if you were one, one degree off going to Chicago starting here, you end up like in St. Louis or something like that. I mean, you're not even close. And little things make a big, big difference. Secure is knowing, knowing what you believe. And this is why he says to them, he says to them in Acts 20, I entrust you to God and to the message of his grace that's able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he set apart for himself. And that's the message of grace, to, to know it. And the stuff makes a difference. Doctrine makes a difference on, on how I, I view my wife. It makes a difference on how you treat your husband and how I work at my job and my confidence in the future, my view of money, my view of worry. Doctrine makes a difference in how I handle illness and sickness and trouble and hardship and pain. You know, how I handle the government, my attitude towards the government, how I handle my neighbor. Doctrine makes a difference on all these things. My richest times of growth is, um, believe it or not, and I brought this one up, um, I got this Bible when I was in middle school, okay? So this is Gutenberg printed, this one, I think, you know? So that's how <laughs> old it is and how old I am. Um, and I, I like it because it's, it, it doesn't look like one of those really holy Bibles, you know, with leather and the really thin pages that tear all the time, you know? And, and I liked it because it's called, and it's called Good News for Modern Man, and it's, and it's not so super, super high above that I feel like I'm, I'm opening up something that's too lofty for me. And I remember reading it, and I remember underlining it. And you know what? I still read it, and I still underline it today. Because I like it, because it's just simply something for my everyday. And my richest times of growth were just spent reading a Bible that didn't look too biblical. <laughs> because it would talk to me, and I could realize and almost feel the sense that this is, this is for me. Next year, uh, we as a church family are going to kind of capture the theme called illuminate. And what it means is we want God to illuminate or open the eyes of our heart to see the truths of his word. And we're going to have a strong emphasis on knowing what the Bible's saying to us and how to apply it and how to live in our lives. Bible Study Fellowship is starting up in a couple weeks. And I think there's a men's Bible Study Fellowship starting in the evenings here, I believe. They're going to be going through the book of Romans. Book of Romans is one of the best books in the Bible to understand the truths, and so make time for that and and work diligently with that. The next problem that can happen on the inside, and this is inside stuff, would be what I'll just simply call meism. I was at Beach Boardwalk a bunch of years ago, and and we had taken our kids, um, their boys there, and and on my son's birthday, and so he brought a couple friends, and and um, they started going on the Beach Boardwalk roller coasters. Any of you like absolutely hate roller coasters? Any of you at that point? Yeah. Yeah, can't do it. I can't handle them anymore. Um, they did that p stupid pirate ship swing. Have you ever seen that one? 
you know, they did they did that one. And so I got my, my daughter, she was just young then, and she was young, and I, I'm glad I had an excuse to whip out on those kinds of things. And and so she saw something she wanted to go on, and there's those little cars that ride around, you know, and I think I've told you this before. So so we got in these little cars, you know, and I thought this looks safe because there's just little children on this, and you have to kind of squeeze in. And so we start going around on, 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 on this thing, and, 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 you know, you go up and down and go through a tunnel and all that kind of stuff. Well, the, well, the guy who's operating this thing decides to set the coordinates to hyperspace, you know, <laughs> and, he, and he just pushes this thing, and we're just flying around, and my stomach, you know, when I, when I go up, my stomach stays there, and I go down, my stomach stays there, you know, and, and it's, it's going, and then it stopped, you know, it stopped, and I think, oh, Lord, thank you, you know, it stopped, I'm okay here, you know, and, and then he, he called over the loudspeaker, maliciously, I know he did. He said, how many of you want to go backwards, you know? And, of course, there were 30 children yelling yes, and there was one adult screaming no. <laughs> and my daughter's having a great time, and we get off, and she says, you know, again, again, I want to go on it again. And, and, and um, I had to, to realize at that point in time, this is not about me. This day is not about me. It's for my daughter. I committed my, my day to her. We come in, we sit down, you know, here, and we strap in for growth and for our enjoyment and for us. Um, church is a weird thing in the sense that while it exists for its members, it primarily exists for people that aren't here yet. Realize that? We primarily exist for people that aren't here yet. Because Jesus would say, go into all the world and, and, and make disciples. And so we come here and we get equipped and we get inspired. But actually we have to understand that we exist for people that have not yet set their, their foot in the door. And so that's why we do things maybe a little bit differently than other churches and it's not you know, super formal because we live in a coast, on a coastside where everything is really relaxed. And we do our music a little bit louder, and we do our music a little bit more contemporary, not church music, because a lot of people are so turned off by that kind of stuff that they would never come. And so we do series like, you know, what men want and what women want in relationships like we're going into next week for you to be able to invite them, for them to be able to say, wow, I never thought God would have anything relevant to say to me. And so they come in here, and they realize that if God has something relevant to say to me about this, maybe God has something relevant to say to me about the deeper issues in my life. Does that make sense? And so we may not be doing all the songs you like, you know, and maybe you like pews and hymn books, and maybe you don't like stuff on the screen, and you'd prefer me to say, let's everyone turn in your Bibles. But we can't do that here because we exist as missionaries in this place. I have to say continually, this isn't about who? It's not about me. It's not. And, and, and the cure for me-ism that could really run rampant in a church is to die, just simply die, you know. Paul says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. You know, it's not about me. You know, this thing is not about me. I consider my life worth nothing. If only I may finish the race and complete the task of the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Christianity is, is such a weird faith, you know, because its continued requirement is to come and die. Come and die. Just come and die. Jesus said, who wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save us. So we need to die to ourselves continually. So we ask, you know, can we have people to help with maybe the PowerPoint or the, the show or sound or working with kids? And you say, oh, man, I don't, I don't know, you know. 
But remember what Jesus said? Come after me and die. Come after me and die continually. I read a statistic that 59% of millennials who grew up in church drop out. Six out of ten of the kids that are in the millennial generation that grow up here will not continue on afterwards. Six out of ten. That should scare us. And we should say we don't want that to happen. And it's weird to think we don't exist for our comfort or our convenience. We exist for the next generation. And that's true for you parents. You know that. You give the best for your kids. We don't exist for us, but to a lost world. Chalice is, Chalice, Idaho is in the middle of nowhere in Idaho. It's just there, and it's a small little town, um, kind of tucked in some hills. And I was there one summer, and we drove 50 miles outside the little tiny town up a dirt road um, from the main road, 50 miles out, just dirt road, and then eight miles up a Jeep trail that was insane. And I hiked a mile up this trail to fish a small creek for native cutthroat. That's what I wanted to do. And, and the creek I went to was a small creek, no more than three feet wide. And, and when you're that far out, you know, the fish are all wild, and you've got to sneak up on them. So believe it or not, I was belly crawling, okay? Yeah, just... Don't picture that, okay? But I was, okay? And I heard something going on in the creek, something this big, splashing, you know, it's like, what the world, you know, what in the world's going on? So I crawled up, you know, I'm crawling up, and, and, I, and I peeked over the creek, and there in this three-foot-wide creek was a salmon this big, this big, salmon this big, in that much water, you know, and the salmon was, 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 was spawning. And, and I could tell because there was no water, hardly any water for this fish to be in. This fish was scarred and beaten from its journey of a 1,000 miles. A 1,000 miles it had come up. And I, and I laid there on my belly and watched in absolute wonder. This fish had gone from the Pacific to the Columbia River to the Snake River, up the Salmon, up the Camas, and now up this little creek, 1,000 miles. And I laid there in wonder, and it felt, because this fish felt it was his duty to give new life no matter the cost. It realized its very existence was to give new life to come. And, th- and this is what we are called to do. Our very existence is to give new life to other people, no matter the cost. Last one, last one is, is having a bad heart. We can die if we have bad hearts. So Paul's on the beach talking to these guys in Ephesus, and, and, and later on he would write to these people. He would send them a letter, and it's the book of Ephesians. And he writes this, Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. love. And it's really interesting he writes this because he's saying basically don't stop loving Jesus ever. Don't ever stop G- loving Jesus. And he doesn't say quite this, this way to the other churches he writes to because years later Jesus would give a message to the churches to seven of them in Asia Minor and one is to Ephesus. And this is what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus that's not supposed to ever, ever stop loving Jesus. Jesus says, You've persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have lost your first love. The very thing Paul said, don't do. Don't do. Whatever you do, don't lose your love for Jesus. And they did. They did. And this, you know, doesn't scare me too much. Maybe it should because you guys are great in this, and we want to keep focusing on Christ. 
as a church corporate together, but individually, never, ever, ever stop loving Jesus. Continually rediscover the marvel of who he is and what he's done for you. The solution is an undying love. That's it. Love him. Don't let that love die, ever. A few years ago, um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now. A few years ago, there, there, there was a, a wedding in a place called Palmer, Alaska, of all, of all places. And it was normal in so many regards, yet there's a twist to this. Um, it was an outdoor wedding, and, and uh, mountains in the background, and a nice green area, and guests were seated. The wedding party came out. And, uh, you know, the, the women came out on this side. The men came out on that, on that side. And the bride's name, her name was, was Becky Green. And on her bouquet, she was carrying a, a small picture of her son, Tristan. She wanted her son, Tristan, to be present um, at the wedding. He couldn't be because he had passed away a few years earlier. And so it was important for her to have a picture of him to be symbolically present with her the wedding. She wanted him to be there. Well, right before everything really began to roll, the groom did something unique. He stopped the wedding and walked out in front and he made an announcement. He said that there would be a last-minute addition to the wedding party and he introduced a man named Jacob Kelby. See, Becky's son, Tristan, was an, was an organ donor. And the new groomsman, Jacob Kelby, was the young man who had beating in his chest her son's heart. The Bible says that God will give you a new heart. A new heart. God's heart can be beating in you. And there's all kinds of symbolism in this wedding, but understand this man was there because of the life of another. This man was there because of the life of another. Had a heart. Someone gave their life, in a sense, for him. And someone gave their life for you. The Bible says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling away and will give you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fall. We have, we have the Lord's Supper um, on either side and in the back as well. Because this symbolizes what God did for us, for you. Sometimes we think, oh man, God is so far away, God's so far away. No, he's not. He's not. God realized that we're going to think he's far away, and that's why God entered into human history in the time space. And then he made it so that we can have an experience to remember exactly what he's done as often as we would like. We call it the Lord's Supper. And, and, and the cracker, the bread that's here is symbolic. Jesus said, this is my body, meaning I, the eternal God, will take on flesh and blood and be separate for a time from God the Father, and I will walk among people. Me, I will, I will do that. So Jesus said, when you take, remember I did that. Well, we also have sinned, and that sin would keep us separate from God, and God cares about closeness so much that 
Jesus said, I will pay the penalty for that. And that's what the cup symbolizes, the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he's able to keep us from falling away. And he will, with great joy, great joy, present us before God without a single fault. Without a single fault. Do you know follow what that means? You'll be presented before God if you've trusted Christ without a single fault. And you will say, God, I don't deserve to be here. And Jesus will say, but you don't have a single fault. I took them all. And then it says, all glory to him who alone is God. Our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, all glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. We're going to do a song right now. And as the song is being played, worship, think through the incredible sacrifice and love that God's given us. Rekindle the love for him, if you would. Come forward when you're ready. Take the cup, take the cracker, go back to your seat. And in just a few moments, we will take together. Let's worship him.